Welcome back to America's leading higher education podcast network, the EdUp Experience, where we make education your business. This is EdUp EdTech, dedicated to interviewing leaders at the front end of technology and innovation in education, hosted by the amazing, the outstanding, the incredible Holly Owens. Now let's get to it and hear from your host, Holly Owens. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another amazing episode of Ed Up Ed Tech. My name is Holly Owens, and I'm your host. And today we have a special episode for you. And I have a very interesting guest that I'm looking forward to introducing you to. Her name is Eliza Scheitzman, and she is the president and co-founder of the Legal Accountability Project. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited. How did I do with the name? <laughs> uh, Aliza Schatzman. So you made an effort. <laughs> yes. Yes. I was going to say, please correct me. I'm not, you know, embarrassed if sometimes my accent or, you know, pronunciation gets in the way, but I'm excited to have you. This is like a brand new, like avenue for me. Like I've never interviewed anybody really in the legal space. So I'm looking forward to learning more about you and the legal accountability project. So why don't you tell us how this started, what you've been doing, and give us a little bit of the backstory. Sure. So the Legal Accountability Project is a nonprofit I launched this summer with my friend, law school classmate, and now co-founder to ensure that law clerks or young attorneys have a positive clerkship experience and then extend support and resources to the ones who don't. I came to this advocacy work based on my personal experience with gender discrimination, harassment, and retaliation during and after my clerkship. So basically a clerkship is when a new attorney, typically fresh out of law school or having one or two years work experience, spends a couple of years working for and learning from a judge, one of the most powerful members of the legal profession. And in the best of circumstances, which is what the messaging looks like on law school campuses, this is a lifelong mentor-mentee relationship with this judge. They'll support you throughout your career. The profession, the position confers only professional benefits. That's the best of circumstances, but the worst of circumstances is what I'm talking about. So I was a I went to WashU Law, graduated in 2019, and I aspired to be a homicide prosecutor in the DC US Attorney's Office. So I decided. Oh my goodness. I forgot yeah. to tell you that I'm from Maryland. I'm a native Marylander, so I'm very familiar with that area. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, DC, I mean, DC Superior Court, that is our local trial court. Our judges are unique in that they are Senate confirmed, even though they're state court judges. But I started this clerkship thinking, you know, launch my career as a homicide AUSA. Unfortunately, beginning just weeks into it, the judge for whom I clerked began to harass me and discriminate against me because of my gender. He would kick me out of the courtroom and tell me that I made him uncomfortable and he just felt more comfortable with my male co-clerk. He told me I was bossy and aggressive and nasty. The day I found out that I'd passed the DC bar exam, so an enormous day for any young attorney. Absolutely, a day of celebration for sure. Yeah. Um, he called me into his chambers, got in my face and said, you're bossy. And I know bossy because my wife is bossy. 
and I just was Goodness devastated. Me. Yeah. Yeah. I just remember crying myself to sleep at night, crying on the walk to work, just desperately wanted to be reassigned to a different judge. My courthouse did not have a procedure for doing that. And so I confided in some mentors who advised me to stick it out. So I did, or I tried. And so we transitioned to remote work during the pandemic. I moved back to Philly in March of 2020 to stay with my parents and work remotely. And the judge basically ignored me for six weeks before he called me up in late April and told me he was ending my clerkship early because I made him uncomfortable and lacked respect for him, but he didn't want to get into it. And then he hung up on me. Oh my goodness. This is such an, in- this is such a crazy story. Like, I feel like yep. I'm watching an episode of like law and order. Well, it Seriously. gets worse. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you, so you started this out of it, an own personal experience of yours. You don't want other people to have this sort of situation. You want other students clerk to have clerkships where they can thrive and they can work with people who are going to help them thrive. That's correct. And these issues, while my story is can seem particularly outrageous, this is not rare. Law clerks are facing harassment and retaliation in state and federal courthouses across the country every single day. And they reach out to me every day to thank me and confide in me. And yet the judiciary likes to say that these issues are not a problem. Nothing to see here, folks. Well, that is wrong. And that's what I'm seeking to combat through the nonprofit. Yeah, what a what a great initiative to start and to help protect, especially the learners who the, the people that do these jobs. I mean, utmost respect for getting in, into, you know, homicide law, you know, criminal, all those things. Like, honestly, you know, not only the mental health toll that it takes on you as a human, but also the things that you have to deal with on a daily basis. And then on top of it, the, the position where you work or the people that you work with are discriminating against you? What? You know, it yeah, just, go ahead. There's, there's just an enormous power disparity between Senate confirmed life tenure judges and fresh out of law school clerks in their first legal job that makes it enormously difficult to speak out in the face of workplace mistreatment. And when you combine that with the fact that law clerks are exempt from Title VII of the Civil Rights Act, meaning they can't sue their harassers and seek damages, it makes it a workplace that's particularly conducive to harassment. And these law clerks need at a minimum the same workplace protections as other employees. Right. So they, and they need this, this clerkship in order for them to, to, you know, continue on with their, their jobs, become a lawyer, or maybe have their own practice or just be seen as somebody like have that reputation of, you know, getting clients and things like that. Right. Yes. They are law clerks are totally dependent on judges for references, for career advancement, even decades later, legal employers will still call the judge somebody clerked for as a reference, which means that these judges can exert enormous power over clerks. And that means two things. That means that law clerks fear retaliation or reputational harm if they choose to speak out against their harassers. And it also means they stay silent, even in the face of mistreatment. And those are problems because it enables these problematic behaviors to perpetuate and judges to get away with misconduct. They create a culture of fear and silence, one of deifying judges and disbelieving law clerks. So tell us how the Legal Accountability Project, what you're doing, um, of course, if you have more, tell us more about your story, but what is, what are you doing to make sure that this, this is not happening and helping future law clerks in this situation? 
Yeah. So basically the story does kind of go on a couple iterations from there. I reached out to my law school and found out they knew this judge had a history of harassing his clerks and chose to conceal that information from me. And then about a year later, I was working at, at my dream job as a prosecutor and the judge gave this outrageous negative reference that caused my job offer to be revoked. And that's kind of when I filed a judicial complaint and he was eventually involuntarily retired from the bench. And so it kind of goes on from there. So there were other iterations, but basically what the Legal Accountability Project wants to do is ensure that law students considering a clerkship have the information they need about judges before applying. Right now, law schools are really incentivized to send as many people into clerkships as possible. It goes to their formal rankings and informal perceptions about the law school's prestige. That means that some of these law schools, particularly the clerkships director, it's their sole mission to funnel as many students as possible into clerkships. Good, bad, devastating, career ending. Some of them just don't care. And they are, there are some misaligned incentives where it's not about ensuring that every student has a positive experience. It's about number of placements, period. Right. So, so what kind of incentives? I'm assuming money is one of them. Yes. <laughs> and <definitely>. reputation. <laughs> Yes, money, reputation, prestige, definitely. There are some law schools, um, particularly the highly ranked ones, but other schools too, where it's definitely coming from the top, from the deans, from the administration, that you must send this number of law clerks each year, period. And so that really means that law schools do not want information about law clerks who've had a bad experience because they want to keep sending students to those judges. So if you are a law student and you do an internship during the school year, most law schools do a post-internship survey. Tell us about your experience. We want to figure out if this is a place to send more students. Very few law schools do a post-clerkship survey of their alumni, even though these positions are so much more enormously consequential than any internship, they just don't want to collect the data. They want students, some, some of them want students to go in blind to these clerkships. And over the past couple of years, there have been high profile allegations against notorious harasser judges. And what came out in addition to those stories, those experiences, is that law school officials at many schools were aware these judges harassed their clerks, chose to conceal that information from students, the vulnerable individuals who most need the information, and who rely on their schools not to lead them into harm's way. Absolutely. Like, I can't even imagine, and like with your experience and what other, like being a new law student is enough pressure and enough, like told, tolling you to figure out that you got into a clerkship with somebody who's not going to be aiding you in your professional career. And it's only going to be hurting you and all the investing you've done with yourself and money financially. I just can't imagine. Yeah, it's, it's really bad. And the thing is, law schools are not required to collect and report any data on their employment outcomes several years post-grad. I think they should be required to collect and report data on law clerks' negative experiences and how many of their students are still practicing law three years post-grad. Because I suspect what we would see is that historically marginalized groups, women, minorities, LGBTQ folks, are the ones who face the brunt of mistreatment during these clerkships and are probably not practicing law. They're certainly like me, not practicing in what they thought their dream job was a couple of years post-grad. But so what we're doing at the Legal Accountability Project is we are gonna pick up the slack for all these law schools who are just doing a bad job. 
we are going to conduct a post-clerkship survey of their alumni. What we're doing is we're sending it to the past 10 to 20 years worth of law clerk alumni so folks can finally report on their negative experience to a trusted third-party source, not to their law schools. They And our survey asks the right questions because the schools that do a post-clerkship survey at all basically say, tell us about your experience. And they know, students and alums know that who's gonna read this, the clerkship director and the deans and other students, and their name is gonna be on it. So they're disincentivized to report if they've had a bad experience. We're gonna have law clerk alumni report anonymously on their judge and their clerkship. We're gonna ask lots of information you'd wanna know about your boss and your job. Certainly mistreatment is something we finally hope to capture, but it's other stuff too, like how does the judge provide feedback? Do I get courtroom and writing experience? Can I take a vacation? These are all things you might want to know about your job that are not available to most like law clerks right. on an equitable basis, which is crazy. Which normal, so. which people in like a normal job market, they know they would know that information, especially with yes. systems that exist like Glassdoor and Indeed, and they provide you know people can anonymously provide feedback, kind of like a hope thing of what the organizations or the institutions are doing. I'm, I'm like sitting here shocked that this, that this kind of stuff doesn't exist. And I wanted to ask you, maybe I'll ask you later on, I wanted you to give advice to those, those people who are in law school and tell them like, what are the top three things or five things to look for? And, but continue on with like how you're, you're doing this with the, doing the work that the schools aren't doing and how you're kind of filling those gaps. Yeah, so we are seeking law, the law schools partner with us. It's a subscription model of the database. So we are charging law schools $5 per student per year, which we think is enormously reasonable. You know, it's $5 per student to protect all your students against harassment. And we're going to use a whitelisting system. So law schools will send an initial email to their students, prompting them to create an account with us. So it'll be enormously secure. It's on a public access website. Judges won't look at this. Reporters won't look at this. The only folks who can look at this are students considering a clerkship. So alums report into the database. And if your law school participates, you as a student can read all the reports about judges, but not just your alumni's reports, which is the most that exists right now. You can read the reports from the alums from all the schools participating. It is the best way to democratize information about judges. And so that's basically the database. Um, we are speaking with a lot of law schools right now and trying to identify our partners. And many law schools are very excited about this, very willing to engage. We have a couple really hostile holdout administrations. And I think they're just going to keep funneling students into dangerous clerkships. And uh, they think the data will hinder their efforts. So that's troubling. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, it sounds like, and I, you know, I commend you and what you're, you're trying to do and help other law students and, you know, acquire these clerkships in safe, um, helpful and learning settings where they're actually going to excel um, and not experience what you experienced. So I, I was getting, I was alluding to the question, like if you were a new law student or you're jumping in, what, what year do you typically jump into the, the clerkship? Is it after you graduate or? So it's after you graduate, but people start applying their second year and people also do internships during law school with judges and this would help okay. them too. Yeah. Yeah. So if you had to give like three pieces of advice for somebody who's about to jump into this and they, their school may have not subscribed yet to what you're offering, what kind of advice would you give them? 
So right now, a lot of clerkship directors tell me that they tell students to do their research, which I mean, what research are you going to do when information is not available? But what they really mean is they want students to reach out to alums who've clerked. And if you can't find an alum who's clerked, you could, they think, go on LinkedIn and identify people who've clerked for the judge. That is not a good solution. I think law clerk to student info sharing is inefficient at best and ineffective at worst, but it is what we have. So right now, if you're considering a clerkship, you've got to talk to people who've clerked for the judge and you need to talk to more than one person and you need to do your best to get the real information about the judge. Not just everything is great, he's a lifelong mentor, but really how does he provide feedback what does the day-to-day -day look like? Talk to multiple clerks. I mean, it's really about getting all the information. And this is already, applying for a clerkship is an enormously difficult and time-consuming process. People are applying to 100 or more judges, some of whom want crazy stuff like paper applications or applications on parchment paper, all kinds of weird things. And it's Oh my goodness. Enough. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. It's this... The judiciary is a profession that has resisted efforts, standardization, transparency, and accountability for decades, if not centuries. It's bad. But yeah, it's about speaking with enough people to get the accurate information. It's about talking to law clerks, talking to professors, just seeking the information. And then when you go in for an interview, if something doesn't feel right, if you feel uncomfortable by something the judge says, something the current clerks say, you can turn a clerkship offer down. You can withdraw your name from consideration. Law schools are finally backing off the terrible advice that you must accept the first clerkship you are offered. But they used to always advise students to do that. And it's really another way we deify these judges. So it's about finding a clerkship that's the right fit, turning one down that seems wrong, or deciding to do some other job instead of clerking. Clerking's not for everybody. And when I think about these judicial workplaces where it's just a judge and a couple law clerks working long hours behind locked doors in close quarters with no workplace protections, like maybe I shouldn't have clerked. Maybe if I had known more about what the clerkship would look like, I would have made a different decision. And I spent a lot of time talking to students who just came off a judicial externship and they say to me, my judge was great. But I understand now the issues you're talking about, how enormously isolated this is, what enormous power disparity this is. Not everybody needs to clerk, and it certainly shouldn't be the necessary checkbox for your next legal job. Right. It's really about changing the culture around clerkships in the legal yeah. community. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, I, and the only thing I can relate it to is the institution of higher education where we started out with lecture and it's nowhere near like a good analogy. This is just what my brain is doing between like we started out lecture based, very teacher centric, teacher focused. And now we are student centric. We are learner focused. And some people still resist that change, that cultural change and implementing the pedagogical, you know, things that they need to do in order to engage learners like what you're doing and make them feel comfortable and safe and able to grow in that sort of environment. Yeah, and I think in the educational space, it's really about being responsive to student needs. Because the other thing I say, I, I see, I'm on a lot of campuses talking to students and then talking to the administrations. And student leaders tell me that their administrations are not responsive to their needs that you know, students going to the administration and demanding they participate is not necessarily gonna be successful. 
And that concerns me. When your students are saying this is a resource we need and you are not responding to them, that is wrong. It's time to make some larger changes in the education community too. Absolutely, 100%. And I absolutely, I'm like just in all of what you're doing for these these learners and how you, you you have such a passion behind it and you're wanting to make these changes and make them stick. It's really, it's really, really important. So coming, we're coming up, you know, I try to keep episodes, you know, kind of 30 minutes. I could probably ask you a whole bunch of different questions that I'm holding back, but I want to know, is there anything else that you want people to know about the Legal Accountability Project. And also, I want to know what you think is happening in the future with this sort of situation. Like, where are you headed? Where is it going? What needs to be done? You know, tell us about those things. So I'll answer the second question first. Perfect. Uh, where, where we're going, what needs to change? So right now, there is a bill in Congress called the Judiciary Accountability Act. That would extend Title VII protections to the judiciary, including law clerks. That needs to pass. That is basically stalled in Congress right now. I submitted written testimony for a House Judiciary hearing on that bill in March. That is incredibly important legislation. And if you are outraged that law clerks are not protected by Title VII, you should call your members of Congress, tell them to support the Judiciary Accountability Act. In terms of our nonprofit, the database is our first initiative. We're also doing a workplace assessment of the federal and state judiciaries. But this is just what we're starting with, these and programming. I'm going to a lot of law schools to share my story, talk about the scope of the problem, talk about our resources. We're long-term working on updates to the database to better protect interns and externs and have them report in. We're working on an employment attorney database to connect law clerks with attorneys who can help. But you know, this year, I think that reasonably probably 10 to 20 law schools will partner with us and we will supplement law school's existing resources. Two to three years down the road, we hope all 100 plus law schools will partner with us and we will supplant all law school resources and we will be the go-to source for information about judges and clerkships. So that's kind of how I see the future, is extending Title VII protections to law clerks who faced mistreatment and improving our resources so we are the go-to source. It's also about changing the culture and the legal community to one where we no longer deify judges, but we encourage every young attorney, regardless of their personality and identity, to bring their full selves to work every day. That's oh basically, goodness. yeah. I've um, learned, I've taken three pages of notes. <laughs> and then in terms of what I wanted to want people to know about the Legal Accountability Project, well, I mean, they can go to our website, which is legalaccountabilityproject.org to learn about us and join our mailing list and support us. They can follow me on social media. I'm very active and they can learn about what we're doing. But look, this issue touches everybody, whether you're an attorney or not, whether you clerked or not, everybody should care that our judiciary is so unaccountable. When we think of the judiciary and some decisions we don't like and who our decision makers are, it's a lot of white men. And the law clerks are also a lot of white men. So if you disagree with the decisions being made in the judiciary, or you realize that today you're just a person, but tomorrow you might be a litigant, whether it's a family law matter, some other civil matter, God forbid you're a defendant in a criminal matter, you want the judge adjudicating your case to be fair. And if you know the behind the scenes, the judges who are presiding over these cases are harassing their clerks, you might not get a fair shake. So everybody should care about this issue. 
Yeah, because it transcends to other areas of our culture and society, obviously. Definitely. Yep. So 100%. I, I am just like, I just, I took three pages of notes. <laughs> I'm more interested in this kind of stuff now than I've ever been. And I, I'm kind of shocked that this is happening, you know, kind of shocked, not shocked. But yeah. on the same page, it's like, you know, in education, we're trying to create equity and fairness among learners. But in our own system, our judiciary, these things are happening. That's not okay. Um, but I thank you so much for taking the time to come on at Up Ed Tech and talk about this and also your project that you're partnering with institutions and you're going to be helping students. And I agree with you. In a few years, this is going to be the go-to resource for sure for the clerkships. Thank you. I hope so. <laughs> Yes, we're going to make it happen. We're going to get all the information out there that we can. So thank you so much. Thank you. You've just experienced another fantastic episode of EdUp EdTech. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to check us out on our website at edup.com edtech.com. Keep yourself in the know about all the latest and greatest edtech happenings. See you next time.